0: No, that's fine, yeah. Cool, I'm going to stand up. Uh, uh, I'll be the one person in the group without a number. <laughs> Lucky me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks for reading that for us, Jordan. Thanks, uh, Ling, as well. And uh, thanks for being here. Um, I want to start today by talking about an experience that, that many families go through. It's a bit of a traumatic experience, uh, although most families go through it voluntarily with a smile on their face, Uh, but without fail, it usually leads uh, to some serious conflict. I'm talking about a game called Monopoly. (laughs) Who's played Monopoly with their family? Yeah, just about everybody. Many people experience some serious trauma playing Monopoly with their family. Uh, It can be a bit of fun. Uh, the, The game is you try to earn money, you try to invest in some property, uh, you experience a bit of chance, you roll the dice, you hope things go in your favor, but inevitably things go pear-shaped because too much of the game just isn't in your control. And if you win, it's only because you got lucky and most of the time you lose. But at the end of the day, whether you win or you lose, you gather up all your plastic houses you collect up all the little paper bits of money, you stuff it all back in the box, whack it on the shelf, pack it away, and it's over. Now I wonder, do you ever feel like life is like a game of Monopoly? Uh, You get out of bed each day, you try to live a good life, you try to make some money, you buy the stuff you want, buy the stuff you need, maybe you go to uni, You do some practice, do some study, play some games, do some hanging out, go to work. You do what you want to do, be what you want to be. Yeah, come join us, Sean. Good to see you, mates. Uh, And then uh, at the end of the day, you go back to bed. You fall asleep, hopefully. You wake up in the morning and you do it all again. And it can all just feel a little bit blah. A little bit same-ish. And so much of everyday life is left to chance. Uh, You win some, you lose some, you lose some, but mostly you just do the same stuff again and again and again. And it can all just seem a bit blah. And at the end of it all, when your life's finished, it all gets packed away, stuffed into the box, put on the shelf, buried in the grounds, and you wonder what the point of it all has been. See, do you ever step back and wonder, what's the point? Is life more than a game of monopoly? Something that you play around in for a while, you roll with the punches as best you can, and then it all gets packed away, finished. Is there life outside of the box? Is there life beyond just the blarness of everyday life? Uh, Well, this trimester, we're going to be uh, turning to a part of God's Word that deals with this question, is there life beyond blah? Uh, We're going to be spending eight weeks uh, in this book of Ecclesiastes, and I don't know if you've read Ecclesiastes before, but uh, if you haven't, here's a heads up. Things are pretty bleak. Ecclesiastes has a bit of a life sucks and then you die vibe to it, but the thing is, Uh, Ecclesiastes expresses what many of us are feeling. It captures the existential crisis that many of us go through. You might not be going through an existential crisis right now, but trust me, at some point, you will. And you'll find yourself wondering, what's the point of all of this? And so all of us, wherever you're at, would do well to learn from Ecclesiastes to listen to what Ecclesiastes teaches us about the blarness of life. But we also do well to look beyond Ecclesiastes and to see how Jesus offers us a hope beyond the blah, life outside of the monopoly box. So if you've ever wondered, what's the point of it all? Is there life outside of it all? Is there a life beyond the blah? Then come with me as we find out. Now, please do keep that Bible passage in front of you today. Those booklets are yours to keep and to scribble in and draw in and take notes and do whatever you like with for the trimester. Uh, I highly recommend you whack your devices away, have a pen or a pencil in your hand so you can try and stay with me. Uh, Whatever it does, whatever helps you to pay attention. Now, I've got three points today. Uh, The first one is the words of the teacher. The second one is everything is blah, And third point is hope beyond the blah. So here here comes my first point, the words of the teacher. Because before we think about what the teacher is teaching, we need to think about who the teacher is, who we're going to be spending the trimester listening to. Uh, You can see how he's introduced in verse 1. In verse 1, we read the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. So first up, we're listening to a teacher. But he's also a king. He is the son of David. At first glance, it looks like King Solomon, Israel's third king. The first king was King Saul, and then there was King David, and then King David's son is King Solomon. So King David's son. Uh, And there's more information in chapter 1 that also makes it sound like King Solomon. Uh, If you jump down to verse 12, there in verse 12, you read, I, the teacher... Had been king over Israel and Jerusalem, I applied my mind to examine and explore through wisdom all that is done under heaven. If King Solomon was known for one thing, it was his wisdom. Uh, he had wisdom far beyond all the other kings. Uh, and verse 16 adds to this. Verse 16, I said to myself, See, I have amassed wisdom far beyond all those who were over Jerusalem before me, and my mind has thoroughly grasped wisdom and knowledge it really starts to sound like wise king solomon doesn't it israel's wisest king but then as we keep reading maybe it's not king solomon because after all when he says i amassed more wisdom than all the kings that came before me well there weren't many kings before king solomon so saying i amassed wisdom beyond all of them before me it's it's not saying much because the first king was a joke king Saul he was a known fool his dad did a bit better but he's simply saying i've got so much wisdom i'm smarter than my dad and i think he's trying to say more than that and also as you heard in the bible reading as jordan read it the teacher's message is really depressing it sounds like life isn't really working out for him uh, but we know that solomon's life was actually pretty great He was rich, he had a lot of success, and things went well for him. He achieved a lot. The whole world looked on and thought he was incredible. And so maybe it's not Solomon. And in fact, the further you get into Ecclesiastes, the more it seems like the teacher might not be Solomon. There are other parts of Ecclesiastes that that in fact show he can't be Solomon. So later on in chapter 8, you don't have to flip there now, but listen to chapter 8. In chapter 8, the teacher speaks as if he's someone who needs to obey the king. Chapter 8 says, uh, Keep the king's commands because of our oath made before God. Don't be in a hurry, leave his presence, and don't persist in a bad cause, since the king will do whatever he wants. For the king's word is authoritative, and who can say to him, What are you doing? So, though at the start, the teacher sounds like Solomon. There are later parts of Ecclesiastes where it can't be Solomon. And so who is it? Well, he's someone who is at least speaking with the persona of a king. He's a mystery person who sometimes speaks as a king, but sometimes he speaks as an everyday person who needs to obey the king. We get both perspectives. You know all those POV memes that are showing up at the moment, right? Right? Well, the teacher is doing that, right? The the teacher is adopting multiple points of view to get his point across. He uses multiple personas to communicate his message. He's like a Shakespearean performer doing a one-man show. One minute, he is King Henry VIII. Next minute, he is a subject of the kingdom. One minute, he's Thomas Cranmer, and another minute, he's Thomas Cromwell sometimes he's teaching as a wise teacher sometimes as a wise man but other times he's a drunk a fool a glutton a wild party goer and just a schmo in the kingdom and he uses all of these points of view to communicate a fairly depressing message which brings me now that we've seen who the teacher is we don't really know (laughs) but it brings me to my second point and that's the teacher's message what is the teacher teaching us? I can't even speak, so he's a better teacher than I am. What is the teacher teaching us? His message can be summed up as my second point everything is blah. Everything is blah. Look at the start of chapter 1 again and just let this wash over you. Chapter 1 Soak up the blahness. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Absolute futility, says the teacher. Absolute futility. Everything is futile. What does a person gain for all of his efforts that he labours at under the sun? A generation goes and comes, the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun sets, panting it hurries back to the place where it rises, gusting to the south, gusting to the north, turning, turning goes the winds. The wind returns in its cycles all the streams flow to the sea the sea is never full to the place where the streams flow there they flow again all things are wearisome more than anyone can say the eye isn't satisfied by seeing the ear isn't filled with hearing what has been is what will be what has been done is what will be done there's nothing new under the sun can anyone say about Anything, Look, this is new. It's already existed in the ages before us. And there's no remembrance of those who came before and of those who will come after. There will also be no remembrance by those who follow them. Everything is futile. Absolute futile. Futility. The NIV puts it as meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. The ESV puts it, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And the word behind that word, futile, meaningless vanity, is the Hebrew word, hebel. And the word literally just means mist or vapour or breath. It's something that exists and then ceases to exist very quickly. Something that doesn't last something that occurs but then is quickly swallowed up by emptiness and so everything according to the teacher is misty a disappearing vapor something that happens and then passes away into the ether it's temporary it passes and there's nothing solid about it and so the teacher tells us life is misty life is temporary People put all of this effort in, and there's no benefits. Life is all pain, no gain. The sun pants. We're never full. Everything's repetitive. No one's satisfied. No one's full. There's nothing new. No one remembers what came before. No one will remember us one day. Life under the sun is miserable. It's futile, meaningless, like someone chasing winds. Here's the message of the teacher. Whether you're wise or whether you're a fool, it makes no difference. Everything is blah. This is like a car driving constantly round a roundabout with no destination. It's pointless. It's kind of scary where the teacher lands at the end of this chapter, because he pretty much says, it doesn't even matter what you do with your life. Be wise. Be a fool. Do whatever the hell you want because nothing really matters. It doesn't make any difference. Check it out with me from verse 12. I, the teacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to examine and explore through wisdom all that is done under heaven. God has given people this miserable task to keep them occupied. I've seen all things that are done under the sun and have found everything to be futile a pursuit of the winds. What's crooked can't be straightened. What's lacking can't be counted. I said to myself, See, I have amassed wisdom far beyond all those who are over Jerusalem before me. And my mind has thoroughly grasped wisdom and knowledge. I applied my mind to know wisdom and knowledge, madness and folly, and I learned that this too is a pursuit of the winds. For with much wisdom is much sorrow. As knowledge increases, grief increases. How would that be for a slogan for Griffith University? As knowledge increases, grief increases. Would that boost the student numbers? The wiser you get, the more sorrow you have. Life is a miserable enterprise, like chasing after the wind, just so much blah. You ever see a cat? Chasing just nothing on a windy day, trying to catch leaves as they blow around, but not even really know what it's chasing, or a dog spinning in circles, chasing its tail. Well, the teacher says that's what life is like for all of us. We're like a dumb cat running around in a circle. It doesn't sma- matter if you're wise or a fool, you're all just cats and dogs chasing after nothing. Uh, who's seen the movie Groundhog Day? Hardly anyone. Who's seen memes of Groundhog Day? Anyone anyone not know the story of Groundhog? I'll tell you so Groundhog Day is the story of a news reporter who wakes up one morning when he delivers the news on TV and then he the day he finishes, he wakes up the next day and it's the same day. And he keeps re-experiencing exactly the same day again and again and again. Every morning his alarm goes off, it's the same song. It's the same announcement on the radio, the same greetings, the same everything, and no matter what he does, he can live but life to the full, he can commit suicide, doesn't matter what he does, his alarm clicks off the next morning and it's the same day. You guys may have seen memes of this without realising you have, it's the welcome to day 738 of flatten the curve. (laughs) Welcome to another beautiful day in lockdown where everything is exactly the same as last time. Well... This Groundhog Day experience is what the teacher in Ecclesiastes is saying life is really like for all of us. Where you get up every day and you do the same stuff again and again and it just makes you step back at some point and ask, what's the point? Seriously, why get out of bed? This is totally futile. Now understand right now, the message of Ecclesiastes may not resonate with you and <laughs> your current experience of life getting out of bed today. Maybe you're absolutely loving life and loving uni and loving friendships and loving work and loving everything and you're happy as can be. And if that's you, then the message of Ecclesiastes is a bit like somebody who's slapping you across the face with a wet fish, right? Like someone's throwing a wet blanket on your party. But you know what? If you're finding this all a bit bleak, then you need to realise it's actually good for you to hear this message. Because it helps you to realise that life, even the best life, eventually starts to feel like you're running on a hamster wheel. Sure, good stuff happens. But after a while, life can lose its its, its excitements and you can be left feeling just a bit empty, a bit blah, a bit misty. Or maybe you're here and Ecclesiastes is right up your alley. (laughs) Maybe this message sounds exactly like your subconscious thoughts. Maybe you're already struggling to get out of bed each day because you do feel a bit empty. You do feel like life's a bit pointless and you're tired of the blah. Well, if that's you, Ecclesiastes is here to tell you that it's not just you who feels that way. We all feel that way at some points. Some of us struggle to climb our way out of that pessimistic viewpoint and to struggle to see anything but the gloominess of life in the blah. Of course, some people need a bit of help with their mental health. If you never experience anything but gloom, it's probably worth having a chat to your GP about that sometime. But Ecclesiastes is about the kind of gloom that all of us experience, the blarness of life that we all experience eventually. How are you going with all this? (laughs) How are you going? Is Ecclesiastes resonating with where you're at at the moment? Or is Ecclesiastes a heads up to how you'll feel at some point in the future? Well, wherever you're at today, the good news is that Ecclesiastes isn't the end of the story. Thankfully, the New Testament shines light onto the message of Ecclesiastes. So, on your handouts, each week we're going to have a short New Testament passage to go with Ecclesiastes. So on your handout, you'll see uh, Romans 8 is there, and we're up to my final point now. Jesus offers us some hope beyond the blah. The New Testament, when you get there, it doesn't shy away from saying that life can still be blah. But with the coming of Jesus, we have hope beyond the blah. And so read it with me from Romans 8 verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility. Is that word futility? Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. So in this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans, Paul doesn't shy away from saying that God's people will suffer. In this present time, God's people will experience suffering. But we won't only experience suffering we also look forward to the glory that's going to be revealed to us and that amazing glory isn't even worth comparing with our present sufferings and our experience of life in the blah and so for those who are part of god's family you might be sitting in the blarness of life you might feel like everything is pointless futile useless Or maybe you're going through something even worse, where you feel like life is horrendous. But it turns out that the blarness, that suffering, that emptiness, that difficulty, that it's a part of life in a world that's been subjected to futility. Uh, You saw it there. Hopefully you picked up it there on verse 10 of the Romans passage. Creation was subjected to Futility and subjected to futility unwillingly. See, the futility we feel in life... Hey, mate, grab a seat. We feel it because we live in a creation that's been subjected to futility by God. At the beginning of the Bible, when humanity first rebels against God, part of God's response was to subject the world, humanity included, to futility to the experience that everything is futile. But at the end of verse 20, we've been subjected to futility in hope. There's hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. You see, God offers the hope of being set free from the blast. Set free from the futility. So if you're frustrated by the blarness of life, when you feel totally over the bleakness, there's good news for you. You're not the only one who feels that way. And there is hope, genuine hope, that it'll be over soon. God's going to rescue his people from the whole creation. He's going to rescue, sorry, the whole of his creation and his people from the blah. And so keep reading with me from Romans 8, verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labour pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the firstfruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now, in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. Because who hopes for what he, always, what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. See, for those who trust in Jesus and therefore those who receive his Spirit, uh, we groan together with the creation. We groan as we experience the blah. Blah. But we groan as we wait for a very real hope, the redemption of our bodies. Because we've been bought by the precious blood of Jesus who died on the cross for us. When Jesus died on the cross and when we trust in him, then we have this hope into which we've been saved. We long for a hope that we can't actually see yet with our own eyes. But it's a real hope of life without the blood. And we eagerly wait for what we don't yet see, waiting for it with patience. Now, understand, this hope is only for those who decide to put their trust in Jesus and in his death for us on the cross. His redemption, his rescue, his paying for us by his blood so that we could be a part of God's kingdom and family and enjoy life with his spirit. So that even the blindness of the worst of life is filled with rich hope. We groan even as we experience rich longing and the very real expectation that the blah will be over soon. And not only that, but that God's Spirit lives inside of us amidst the blahness, giving us both purpose within the blah and hope beyond the blah. You see, what Jesus has done changes our point of view. Jesus gives us God's point of view, the point of view from the heavenly throne, telling us that life doesn't have to be futile. The teacher in Ecclesiastes was speaking from the point of view of a king, a son of David. Well, here is the real son of David the descendant of David, the real king, the real Messiah, King Jesus. And Jesus shows us that there really is something new under the sun, and he offers that to us because of what he's done for us. You see, if this life was all that there is, then life really would just be like a game of Monopoly. You give it a good crack, you get fed up when it doesn't go the way you want it to, but then at the end of the day, you pack up the box, you die, and it's all over and been for nothing. Jesus shows us there is life outside the box, that playing the game isn't all there is, that we can have a hope beyond this life and amidst it and in a way that brings rich meaning and purpose to every moment of every day. So, friends, let me wrap up by uh, talking about how this applies to our life. Many of you are stuck in this life of You wake up in the morning, you flick around on your phone, eat, flick around on your phone, do some practice, do some study, some work, some class, some rehearsing, flick around on your computer, try and have a bit of fun, flick around on your phone, spend some money on things that you hope will make you happy, flick around on your phone, go to bed, flick around on your phone, Go to sleep and wake up and there's a repeat sign taking you back to where you were yesterday, right? Now, that's all there is to life. No wonder we end up going through some kind of existential crisis because that life, that life most of the time is just blah. You might feel like you had the best life in the world. You might be doing things tough and experience the worst of the Blah. But wherever you're at, you can expect that some days will be great, some days will be terrible, but the vast majority of the days will be in between. Just blah days, nothing days, just blah. But Jesus offers so much more. He offers hope, he offers meaning, he offers richness, the hope of a glorious future, but a future that breaks into the present and that brings meaning instead of futility, that brings freedom instead of boring repetition, that brings love in place of dryness, hope amidst the groaning, and all with the expectation that your longings will be met and satisfied one day soon through Jesus. And so on that note, I want to finish with a final word to artists, since that's all of you here, right? Artists, musicians. Did you know that many graduates of the con go on to barely play their instrument? Or that many people will study a full degree at university that they go on to never use? Or that many composition students go on to graduate and not keep composing? That music tech students go on to not work in music tech? Uh, Many graduates of a place like the con will become music tutors? Many people at a place like the College of Art will become people who work at the College of Art. (laughs) Or maybe some of you will strap on a Masters of Education and become school teachers. Uh, Just get whatever job you can. Uh, When I finished university with my Bachelor of Contemporary Music, uh, eventually I ended up working in the Student Administration part of Southern Cross University and there were three other full-time employees in my office with a Bachelor of Contemporary Music working in student enrolments, answering phones, shuffling papers, sending emails because none of us were actually able to make a living from music alone. At some point you had to ask, what's the point of all the practice? What's the point of all the rehearsing and all the work? Have you ever stood in a practice room and wondered, how many times have I played this scale? How many hours have I spent practising or coding or doing whatever it is that you do? Uh, There's a treadmill that's unique to musicians and artists, a hamster wheel that can just go around and around day after day. And if life under under the sun was all there was, then there would be no points. Sure, you might enjoy it some days. You might even get something out of it. It may even lead to some employment. (laughs) But there's an undeniable element of blah to it all. And at some point, you have to ask what the work is even for. If you're at all feeling that way, then Jesus is offering you something more. See, when you know Jesus, then your artistry becomes a part of expressing who you are in Christ. It actually becomes a part of expressing and experiencing both our groaning and our hope. It becomes something we enjoy because we're being creative people seeking to bring glory to a creative God. Even as we wait for God to redeem this groaning creation. You see, Jesus brings life beyond the blah even to our artistry because Jesus brings hope to all of life. Jesus offers all of us life beyond the blah, life amidst the blah that gives hope beyond the blah a taste of that you just need to come to jesus let's pray heavenly father thank you for all that jesus offers us thank you for the slap in the face that ecclesiastes brings us in showing us something of the bleakness and the futility of life live without eternal hope and yet thank you so much for the rich hope and meaning that we have through jesus Thanks for the hope he gives us amidst the blah and the hope of life beyond the blah. Father, help us to find the riches that we are looking for, the meaning in life in him. In Jesus' name, amen.